1: Thank you for joining us here on Fight Back. Libby returns from her summer vacation on Thursday. Later in the hour, investment expert Alan Small joins with tips on how best to manage your money during COVID-19. So please stick around for that and feel free to call in with your questions. Right now, though, we begin with our weekly conversation on issues important to Zoomers, the 45-plus crowd. It's our Zoomer squad, Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging, and David Kravit, Vice President here at Zoomer Media. Peter Muggridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine, is on vacation. Hello, Abbreviated Squad.
2: <laughs> Hi. Hi, Jane.
1: <laughs> I want to start first with reaction to what is now being widely reported, that Durham Halton and York regions here in the GTA, along with Halton, Niagara, Haldeman, Norfolk and Lambton, will be allowed to advance to stage three reopening on Friday. The city of Toronto, Peel region, so Mississauga and Brampton and Windsor-Essex will remain in stage two. Marissa, we'll start with you. Your thoughts on this.
2: I think it's good news. I think it's only good news um, because it means that we're trending in the right direction and it means that people can get back to work, businesses can start operating again, and provided the numbers show a positive trend in so far as um, uh, cases, number of cases that are positive, so on and so forth, I think that's only a good thing for, for these regions. And David, your thoughts?
3: I agree completely. It's a very good trend, uh, and uh, during the news broadcast, you had some uh, material about how we're uh, successfully clamping down on this, or appear to be. And I think that it's important that it shows that the phased approach is really being enacted, because each region is being evaluated uh, separately based on its numbers, and some are moving along Mm -hmm. at one speed, some are a little bit further behind, but overall... It says to me that there is, you know, some hands at the controls of all this, and it isn't being stampeded, and it isn't, it's methodical and disciplined, and I think that's excellent.
1: Well, you bring up a good point, too. Remember at the <clears throat> beginning all of, of all of this, when the Premier was reticent to do a phased reopening, he wanted to have all of Ontario move from each stage, and, and clearly this has been the, the best approach. Marissa.
2: I completely agree. Um, I think it's important that you look at these regions independently um, because, of course, they have, you know, generally different populations and, and different densities. And there are a number of things that could factor into why one region may be, um, you know, slower to reopen than another, or why one region may be slower. Um, Uh, You know, seeing more of a significant drop in COVID cases than another region. And so I think, you know, his approach, both phased as well as um, looking at various jurisdictions, has been the right approach. And clearly, um, it's shown in the numbers.
1: Well, the initial thought, I remember Dr. David Williams, the Chief Medical Officer of Health, saying, well, if you, if you open one area, then the people from a different area that hasn't gone to the next stage will run over there to get their haircuts. But I think, David, that people were very region-specific. You know, They, they stayed in their region. They didn't run to other regions, although maybe there was some cottage activity a bit mm-hmm. early on. But I think people have generally observed what's going on in their regions as opposed to needing to leave to get the service
3: earlier. Well, I think I think that's true because because the manifestations of the lockdown and the rules were fairly uh, clear-cut and not terribly difficult to understand uh, or abide by. I've seen, for example, I think it was, uh, I forget the exact date, within the last couple of weeks that they said, OK, when you enter a store now, you have to wear a mask um, regardless of the size of the store. And I've seen, uh, I go shopping, uh, not extensively, but in my local pharmacy or whatever. And on the date that came in, they had a guy at the front saying you can't come in without a mask. And people walking down the street without a mask, putting on a mask when they got to the store. Other people wearing the mask all the way along down the street. It wasn't a big, uh, uh, you know, hysterical, angry thing. It was just routine. People are responding in a common sense way. And I think that's very, very good.
1: I'd like to put the question to you out there listening as well, especially if you live in the city of Toronto or in Brampton, Mississauga. Uh, Likely you're not listening to us on our uh, terrestrial AM 740 signal in uh, Windsor, Essex. But if you're listening online, what do you feel about being left behind in stage two this Friday? Is it a good thing? Are you in a hurry to do um, in dining uh, uh, restaurant? enjoyment or getting to the movies or going to the gym or are you quite happy to wait until the medical experts give us the okay to move forward 416-360-0740 toll free 1-866-740-4740 you can join our zoomer squad conversation marissa and caladin is on the line do we have her locked in yet we're still waiting to get her question so we'll get to her in just a minute um David, uh, about the the patios, there were a lot of complaints this weekend, people walking along King Street West in the entertainment district and seeing people too close together on the patios, too close together in the lineups. Uh, Mayor John Tory is saying, if you see this, please call 311, because there's no way their bylaw officers can be at all 7,000 patio locations at the same time. What do you think is happening in these situations, and how can, concerned would, should we be about the lack of physical distancing in some patio areas?
3: Well, I think we should be. If they're concerned enough to call the number, then I think the people really are too close. And what I've observed, I don't think people are looking and saying, well, wait a minute, you're, you're five feet away instead of six feet away. Uh, I think that would be, you know, micromanagement to a mm-hmm. completely, you know, impractical. But if you see people crowded together uh, that's clearly violating the spirit as well as the specifics of the bylaw, of the law. Um, you know, you have to call out those cases. I think that it's only fair to your fellow citizens to observe these distances, to observe these rules. Uh, you don't have to go. You go order in your food if it offends you that much that so you can't be closer together then, you know, nobody's forcing anybody to go anywhere. So mm-hmm. I think this is this is just it comes down to common sense. You know, there's really no better answer than that, in my opinion. And
2: if I could just add, you know, that's so right, right? I mean, there, when we reflect on how we've managed over the last few months, there are some couple, there are a couple of very basic things that we can do to prevent, um, you know, a further outbreak or God forbid, a second wave. And one of those things is maintaining a safe physical distance so in easing these restrictions it's not a free-for-all to go back to the way things were I think we need to remain vigilant and we need to remember that this is still a very serious virus um, and we certainly don't want to do anything that could trigger um, further outbreaks or um, a, a massive second wave.
1: We're with our Zoomer squad, Marissa Lennox and David Kravitz. Uh, Peter Mugrich is on vacation. And your calls, 416-360-0740 or toll-free 866 740 as we discuss issues primarily around COVID-19 today related to Zoomers. Let's. Uh, we've got Marissa and Khaled in now. Marissa, go ahead.
4: Hello. Uh, I would just like to ask a question because I'm unclear about I live in Caledon and I'm wondering why is it that the, the town of Caledon is n- never mentioned, generally speaking, in news reporting on, on
1: COVID. Right, but Caledon is part of Peel Region. Right. Right, and and you're absolutely right. It's Caledon, Mississauga, and Brampton, all part of Peel Region, and the reports indicate that Peel Region will not be moving to Stage
4: 3 on Friday. Oh, yes, I realize that. But my question is, um, why is Cal- the, the the name Caledon is not mentioned? It's always Mississauga, um, Brampton, and that's it. Peel it,
1: region. It's just so an people, it's a it's an oversight, Marissa. I guess because Caledon is such a small. Um, I, are you a town, a village? We're a town. You're a town. It's a small town, but you're absolutely right. It should be included every time because um, the cities of Mississauga and Brampton obviously overshadow the population of Caledon, but it is part of Peel Region.
4: Yes, and we'd like to know how many cases. How we'd like to know the whole gamut of information that other towns or cities receive.
1: Well, it's within your, uh, it's within your public health, uh, yeah. so it would be for Peel Region Public Health you would be able to find that information out. And okay. h- how do you feel about staying in Stage 2 uh, longer than most of the rest I, of the I province? I feel
4: that it's fabulous. It's, I think it's the right move.
1: Yeah, I think, I think uh, most people agree. Uh, I want to hear if, if you agree with Marissa as well on this. Waiting on and staying in stage two for Peel and the City of Toronto and Windsor-Essex. A good idea and why? 416 3600740 toll free 1-866-740 4740. David Marissa, we haven't talked as a group yet about the loosened restrictions in nursing homes which begin on Wednesday. David, that's when indoor visits will be allowed. So how how do you feel about the timing on that and the importance of it?
3: Well, we've heard for weeks now how important it is because um, the restrictions on visiting uh, inside have impacted very negatively on many of the residents and also on their families and their loved ones. It's interesting that the so-called looser restrictions, um, they go back to you have to be tested negative, whereas if you meet with them outside, you, you they drop that requirement. Right. I mean. They're limiting it to two people. Um, I, I, I have a little bit more comfort with that second thing, because if you're in a room and there's too many people, I imagine, in a confined space. I'm not quite sure, though. I come back to a comment I made a couple weeks ago. If you have to wear a mask and if you have to observe social distancing, uh, I'm not sure how else you can transmit the uh, infection if you if you do test positive. And we did hear a lot of people, a lot, of a meaningful number of people phone in and say it's hard for them to abide by the testing requirement to get there, to stand in line, et cetera. So there may be a little bit of controversy about that. I don't want to be the one to to uh, fan the flames on that. But it, it seems to me a reasonable time to do it. And you certainly welcome any uh, anything that makes it easier to visit people in these uh, long-term well, care homes.
2: And it's not just visitors, however, because, of course, you know, that was that was part of the first easing of restrictions was allowing at least family members in there to see their loved ones, not in the homes, but to the homes to visit them. Now, what they've done is they've allowed people to go inside, okay, but also they're allowing for family caregivers um, to be able to play the role that they once played previously, in which case... Um, physical distancing wouldn't necessarily be maintained because a lot of what family caregivers did was they supported them with with eating um, their meals. Maybe they supported them with helping to get changed in the morning and so on and so forth. So they played a number of different roles. That was missing during the pandemic. And they've They've allowed for that to continue, provided these individuals, of course, uh, do get tested. Now, I do see some challenges with the test. And I agree with David that it's not easy to go and get a test. And, of course, a test will only allow you to be able to access it. a long-term care home for a two-week period, at which point you need to get another test. Um, so it's definitely a hurdle for people to have to jump through. But in the name of keeping people safe, given how vulnerable these facilities are, I think it's fair.
1: There's a real uh, element of humanity here too, David, because I mean you would have to be masked to to go in and visit. It's an inside public space, but to be able to give a haircut, to be able to shave a loved one, to mm-hmm. you know, to be able to yeah. brush the hair of a loved one, you know, massage the hands, do all those things that, you know, as human beings we all crave and need and, and these residents have really they've been isolated and without that for so long.
3: I think they're trying to walk a fine line and uh, to your point exactly, humanity and plus plus the relationship. So they've been receiving this care from the loved one or the caregiver and now it's gone away for you know higher reasons uh, connected with the pandemic fair enough but um it isn't just the service of the haircut or the shave or whatever i think it's those those relationships that have been fractured and that are so necessary we know already from uh, other evidence long before the pandemic that that personal contact uh, impacts your overall health
0: that oh, if you're yeah. lonely
3: and isolated uh, mm-hmm. Your your overall health goes down, and we've had a call, I think, from uh, that one uh, lady that's called in several times, watching her Verna. husband deteriorate. Yes, Verna yeah, from watch, Oakville. Verna, Verna, yeah, watching her husband deteriorate mm-hmm. and notice, noticing the change. And so you're quite right, this is uh, uh, in the interest of humanity, and it's much needed. And I think they are trying to balance protection versus um you know, what, what um, the humanity of it. And I, you know, I, it's easy to sit here, you know, on the radio and say, they should do this, they shouldn't do that. I think they're trying their best to to, to strike the right balance.
1: Marissa, I'm sure you hear from CARP members. I mean, I just thinking of a personal experience, which I know meant so much to my now late mother in law, but she was deep into Alzheimer's disease towards the end. But when I would go to visit, I mean, you you couldn't really have a meaningful conversation, but I could take her hands and rub her hands. And I I know that she felt that and it felt good. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's that's the whole idea behind this human contact and being able to allow
2: people to come in and and touch their loved ones. That's right. Around 80 to 90% of people living in long-term care homes have some form of cognitive impairment. And so... I recall when my grandmother uh, was in one, um, what it meant to her to see my mother every day because she forgot who she was, but Mm -hmm. she could remember who my mom was, right? But she didn't know who the rest of the individuals around her were. And so for my mom to be there and be able to visit her, it would give her that sense of calm. It would calm her down if ever she was agitated. My mom was probably one of the only people that could actually do that. Mm -hmm. And through this pandemic, um, that's been lost. Um, And I also just want to mention too, I mean, trimming someone's hair or or shaving their beard may sound trivial, but in fact, it's not because it's about their identity. It's about their humanity. It's about who they are. um, And those things are so important to an individual living in long-term care.
1: Okay, Zoomer squad, Marissa, David, uh, we have some callers who want to get in on the conversation. Let's go to Skip in Toronto. Go ahead, Skip.
4: Yes, I am I'm concerned about the situation, but they asking people to wear masks. And uh, masks, sometimes you can't breathe with it. But yes, if you say you must come in the store with a mask, then stores should have masks to sell people and said, pay a dollar, pay whatever, for the mask and go in.
1: I think a lot of companies, uh, David, Marissa, do provide a a mask, not all. And I I don't know, is that too much to be asking of business owners to make sure they're providing masks?
3: Well, I've had one experience where I went in uh, to... Make what I thought would be just an appointment, and by luck, was able to be served. It was this day or two after they um, opened up haircuts again. <laughs> and I was so relieved, to have it. and they had they provided a mask and they charged a buck mm-hmm. fifty to the caller's point. Right, but but it, well, I don't think they were compelled to. I think they were just you know for business reasons. They said we'll make it really easy for you in case you don't have a mask. Here is one.
2: Well, right, it, it's smart business so sense. It, it's good and- business. And most grocery stores offer them at the front door because, of course, it's mandatory to wear inside a grocery store. Um, And so I would think that by now most people would have masks. And it's not like you need to throw it out every time you use it. You can reuse your mask. So if you do get your hands on one and they're fairly inexpensive, hang on to it. Right. Uh, let's get back to our conversation on long-term
1: care. There was just another thing I wanted to mention to you both. And by the way, the phone lines are, are open for any of the topics we discuss with the Zoomer squad. 416-360-0740. Toll-free 1-866-740-4740. It seems that um, the outbreaks of COVID-19 in long-term care continue to settle down. So here's the latest, and I'll get you both to comment on this there were no new outbreaks reported in any of ontario's long term care homes on sunday and the number of ongoing outbreaks in those settings remains at 36 and i believe david we've got 626 long term care homes in the province yes, yes so it's still out there it's just it's it's much subdued
3: well i think i think it goes to the meaning of outbreak too i mean if you have mm-hmm. a handful of cases we're not going to get it down to zero
2: and, and by definition, outbreak means just one case. So an oh, okay, outbreak
3: so okay. could could All be right. one case, I'm or wrong. an outbreak could be yeah. mm-hmm. could could be 12 cases. parlance, so you don't think of one case here and one case there as an outbreak. But I guess I, I get that technically, so you right.
2: It was redefined at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And there are still, um, I believe it was Villa Colombo last week at Lawrence and Dufferin, that was taken over by the government. Uh, so the, we're still dealing with a lot of cases in that particular home. So for us to think that um, the long-term care crisis is over, it's not, Marissa. It's
2: not. and And... And also, remember, we're about to head into—I mean, not about to—but in the fall, we'll be heading into flu season, where we often see outbreaks in these homes as well. Um, and so, you know, that I, I, I mention that because you know, the flu is also extremely. Um, uh, deadly for older adults that are vulnerable with with pre-existing conditions and certain comorbidities. And and so I think all homes need to use this as a learning experience and need to consider, you know, what is their their isolation strategy moving forward in the event of any kind of outbreak of any illness? Um, because one of the things we learned through the pandemic is that there isn't a lot of extra space in these homes. And if someone does get sick, how do you effectively quarantine them? Mm-hmm. Um, and do you have the appropriate amount of staff to be able to meet the needs of an isolated group together with the, the rest and so on and so forth? So I think as we move forward, you know, there are a ton of lessons learned. Obviously, the province is, is moving forward with a commission on this, um, looking into some of those lessons, I suppose, over the course of the pandemic. But... Um, a lot needs to change in these in these homes to make them safe for older adults
3: and i think I, I think to do maybe a little mini shout out to the healthcare workers we also have to remember i want to be careful this is not a reason to be uh, uh, complacent about this because it's extremely urgent and the, the way they're phasing in the lockdown is, is, is i think right on point but we also have to remember that um, three, four months or more has gone by and the treatment end of this is not static either. They're getting better at treating it. The, the mortality rate even among seniors, even among infected seniors, has dropped slightly, and not, not overwhelmingly, because a lot depends on how old you are and how many other illnesses you have. But they are getting better at um, treating it. It's not static. They're science. They're learning as they go along. They're getting better at it. And I think they deserve the the medical establishment deserves a lot of credit for uh, continuing to adjust and try this, try that, and they are they are making some headway uh, uh, in in uh, in treating this, and we we should acknowledge that it has not been like frozen in in one situation with no uh, you know no adjustment.
1: Well, Marissa, here's where we are exactly with that: the number of people hospitalized with COVID nineteen saw a slight increase on Sunday going from 101 to 115. That's across the entire province. And of those people, of the 115, 37 were receiving treatment in intensive care units and 24 of the 115 were breathing with the support of a ventilator. So certainly not a good situation, but a manageable situation
2: manageable and and that's why as you know we, we do this phased approach to reopen we want to make sure that the you know it's not lifted completely and and that we see the kind of surge because of course that was the fear from the very beginning that we would overwhelm our hospitals there wouldn't be enough beds ICU beds or ventilators to be able to meet the needs of these individuals and we're so fortunate that we didn't see the kind of surge in hospitals that other countries like Italy saw um, and so we certainly don't want to get to a point where we do see that, but what's been amazing is that our hospital system has remained fairly um, well, it's been it's been okay, um, and there hasn't been the the degree of surge that we all feared in the very beginning.
1: Let's talk about preparations for a second wave, and we're with our Zoomer squad, two of the three regulars, Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and David Kravitz, VP here at Zoomer Media, and yours truly, Jane Brown for Libby Snymer. The Premier has yet to outline a plan, but David, he promises that the medical health experts have a good handle on what's going on and what needs to be done. Do we find comfort in that, even though we haven't been told what's going to happen?
3: Uh, Generically, yes, I do find comfort in that, because don't forget another thing is that experience breeds experience. Success breeds success. We're getting more used to it. There's some, uh, you know, the the politicized angle has not happened in Canada of the backlash. So I think the the ground is more fertile, let's say, for bringing in what is that strategy. The testing is better. The data is better. There's Mm -hmm. that much more. Uh, information that they can watch and they can define what is that second wave and what are we going to do about it. And when they do that they're playing into uh, an audience, let's say, of the citizens who are already experienced to some degree in dealing with this makes it easier than the situation we were in in March when it was all brand new and nobody knew you know, which, which end was up, really, frankly.
2: Marissa, would mm-hmm. you like to add to that? Sure. I mean, I think we need to okay. I think what I'd like to know even from the province is how they would even define a second wave, right? Would it, would it be a continuation of the first or is it actual second wave? Because I think a second wave would need to see a severe case increase in an area where, you know, the virus was appeared to have been wiped out. And we are seeing second waves um, in countries around the world and it is happening. Um, And so we need to make sure, of course, that, that we remain uh, vigilant. One last
1: topic before I let the Zoomer squad go for another week. There's a new Angus Reid poll out on what would happen in the event of a second wave. And it reveals that half of Canadians feel confident their community would go back into the same style of lockdown employed for the first wave if a second wave were to emerge. David, not surprising that people feel that way about their their governments and their local health officers?
3: Well, I think I think it's true. I, the, the findings weren't really a shock to me, uh, precisely because we're doing it already. It's a point I made a moment. We're already doing this. Nobody wants to have gone through this whole thing only to get overwhelmed by this uh, virus. So the the climate of cooperation is going to be, I think, more favorable than not. But again, it underscores the importance of these regional strategies and this regional data because the numbers are... Uh, overwhelmingly out of balance. You know, Quebec has under uh, about maybe a quarter of the population. They have 60% of all the COVID cases in Canada came out of Quebec. So if I'm a restaurant in Red Deer, Alberta, my reaction to being closed down and, not you know, reopening is very different than if I'm, you know, in Montreal or in Toronto. It's been very out of balance. This thing has not at all been evenly distributed. And so that's why we have to take these variations into account.
2: Mar- yep. Marissa, but I don't know that we could afford to shut down again. Um, I, I, you know, obviously, federal coffers are. It, it seems like there's an unlimited <laughs> amount of money, but I don't know that the that the federal government could actually afford to continue with its CERB plan and, and some of the other programs that they have going.
0: And, um, so yes. I think
2: that that would be a real challenge. Um, but to David's point, which he made earlier, around you know we we are. So We are so much farther ahead today than we were back in March, where we know now the degree of testing that needs to be completed in order to stay on top. of, We know that we need to be tracking this data. We know that we need to. uh, People, I think, are better using their personal protective gear. I mean, I think all of these things uh, will help to mitigate that risk.
1: And David, there's also a mental health component to this poll. The overwhelming majority say a second wave would be difficult for them from a mental health standpoint. Uh, And I think, again, about older people who basically stayed at home and ordered in their groceries and didn't go out for a long time. Some still are practicing that. And nursing home and retirement home residents, the issue of isolation.
3: Well, I think that's true, but I also want to say that, and I think in few, in the future shows, I predict we're going to be discussing this. Just with the passage of time, um, the men- mental health may not affect all the age groups equally, and there's some evidence that is the younger people may be more, uh, you know, maybe be more damaged. The American Pediatric Association, as well as the Journal of the American Medical Association, this is in the U.S., have come out strongly, strongly in favor of reopening the schools in September. I won't get into should we, shouldn't we, but one of their main reasons is mental health, that the the effect on younger, the kids and the teens of not being able to learn is going to create additional health problems beyond COVID. And I I think that debate will heat up, that's for later, but I think mental health is a key issue. And if we start measuring the the effects of this on all age groups, you know, we're not going to
2: like what we see the longer this goes on. Marissa, final word to you. Sure. I think facing, uh, you know, the mental health fallout from the COVID pandemic is going to be a real challenge for governments. Um, This is something that we have underfunded for a very long time. There are not enough resources for people. Um, And they're saying that we're heading and we're going to see an epidemic of of mental health crises um, because of what's gone on. So I think that this is something that uh, that our governments are going to struggle to deal with. Thank you
1: both. I will speak with you again next Monday.
2: Thanks, Jane. Take
1: care, Jane. Okay, Absolutely. have a good week. Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging, David Kravitz, Vice President here at Zoomer Media, our Monday Zoomer Squad. And if you haven't joined CARP yet, it's easy to do, inexpensive, and extremely effective. CARP.ca.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.